Thank you so much for being here. This is fun. Uh, this is exciting. Can you believe it? Two years old. Time has flown by, and we feel so blessed to be where we're at in this journey. We feel so blessed to have you here celebrating with us this morning. God is good, and he's done some amazing things. You know, when we began this journey, uh, we had this dream of a church, a faith community in which belonging could come first. Right. And, and, uh, in time, we invite people to believe in Jesus, uh, at which point Jesus does, God does, the Holy Spirit does in our work, a transformational work in our lives, uh, to become the people that we were, that we were made to be, right? To live a fuller life, to know the love and to demonstrate the love of Christ, right? And so we've been talking about belong, believe, become for two years now. And we figure it's about time that we put some meat on this, that we go a little bit deeper and really explore what it means to, to belong in the context of a faith community, uh, what it looks like to create places of belonging in our, uh, in our community, in our lives around us. Um, what do we believe in? Like, like, what are we, what are we moving towards? And then ultimately, what does it look like to become uh, what we were made to be? And so we're going to begin a sermon series today um, on Belong, Believe, Become. We're going to flesh out in a little more detail um, uh, uh, what, what it looks like to belong, believe, become. So this is a flow we'll be working with for, for the next few week, weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about belonging in the context of radical inclusion and love. And that, we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, we'll talk about uh, a church in which belonging becomes first. What does it look like for the church to revolve around a place of belonging? We'll talk about belief. Uh, that is experiences that lead towards belief. We'll talk about uh, what we believe as a people. Uh, and then we'll look at Peter's confession, that moment of belief, that moment of faith uh, in our lives. And then when it comes to becoming, we'll talk about uh, the way we are transformed into the image of Christ. We'll talk about being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about being uh, becoming a part of his mission, right? Being on mission with God and a part of what he's doing in the world around us. So that's a little bit of overview of where we're headed. Today, we're blessed to talk about radical inclusion and love. I can't help but think of the, my first job um, in the United States. So if you don't know me, I grew up overseas, and I came, came back to the United States, went to college, we got married. I graduated from college with a degree in biblical text, but I had no idea career-wise what I was going to do with that. And so when we moved up here, I decided, well, for now, I'm just going to work in the high schools. I'm going to become a para-ed, and I'm going to help um, kiddos out in the high school. And I remember walking um, into my first high school class, and I was homeschooled okay, my whole life, so I'd never really been to an American high school. And I remember walking in, and as I walked in, all the kids sitting there turned and looked at me, and one girl in the front row, she just looked at me, and she was like, who are you, and what are you doing here? And, and I, I kind of looked around, and I was like, I mean, I know I'm not like at the top on the coolness rating scale of high school, but I didn't think I'd be quite that low. Well, the thing is, you looked like a high school student, <laughs> you know. I didn't think I'd be quite that low on the coolness rating um, in high school. I guess I, I, I never quite belonged at that high school, even though I worked there three years. In the end, I decided the littles were, were much more my cup of tea. And so I got my master's in elementary education, and I moved to an elementary school and, and totally belonged there. But I know what it's like to walk into a place and say, hey, I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but this doesn't quite feel right. I don't quite belong here. 
In Luke chapter 7, we read a story uh, much like that. Uh, Jesus finds himself in a place that he doesn't belong, that he's not welcome, that instead he's shamed in, in that place. But the tor- story takes a beautiful turn as Jesus uh, uh, creates a space of radical inclusion for others, even though he's been wrong. Let me tell you a little bit of the, of the background. If you were with us a year and a half ago, we were studying through the Gospel of Luke, uh, and we talked about this passage. Um, it's a story of a sinful woman in a Pharisee's home. A little background to the story. Uh, the Pharisees and Jesus were not BFs, BFFs. Like, they didn't get along. The Pharisees uh, were very threatened by him and, uh, and out to disprove him. Uh, but for whatever reason, it wasn't uncommon for the Pharisees to invite Jesus into their home. Could have happened for a number of reasons. Maybe they're curious about what he has to say and teach. Uh, maybe they're trying to uh, dis- disprove him and question him and challenge him in some way, shape, or form. Um, on this particular day, Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's home, a man by the name of Simon. And who knows if Simon had uh, set up the scenario that's about to play out. Uh, but we do know this. As Jesus arrived at the house, uh, he was not greeted in a customary or a kind way. You see, having traveled uh, by foot in sandals in dusty um, uh, Israel in the first century, uh, it was customary to either have someone wash your guest's feet or to at least give them water for their feet. You'd give them oil to put on their head, and you'd greet them with a kiss was the customary thing. Uh, But instead, as Jesus arrives at Simon's home, uh, Simon affords him none of those things, offers him none of the common courtesy, and Jesus reclines at the table, dirty from his travels, having been uh, mistreated, having been disrespected uh, in this home. And he sits reclining at the table, and the story goes like this. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 is where we'll begin. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, uh, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, uh, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Okay, so here's the scene. Jesus, having been disrespected in the home of this Pharisee, now reclines at the table, and it's as a, a, a sinful woman. Now, we don't know exactly uh, what her life was like and why. Uh, many speculate that she was a prostitute. The perfume that she has would lend uh, itself to, to believing she would use that in her practice as a prostitute. Uh, but we do know this. Societally, uh, the people of that town knew her as a sinful woman. That, that was her position in that community. That's the way she was viewed. And, uh, and so the sinful woman comes and, and, uh, begins to weep and wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She lets her hair down and dries his feet with her hair. She's kissing his feet. And let me just say, this is not a beautiful picture. Like, maybe we kind of glamorize it like, oh, how sweet what she's doing. This was an ugly scene. This was awkward. Can you imagine being in this room as she's crying out loud and people are having to tr- trying to have a conversation, as she's wetting his feet, as she's drying? And everyone in the room, the Pharisees particularly, who believed we have to distance ourselves from sin and sinful people, uh, are feeling incredibly uncomfortable. In 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed a certain money lender. Uh, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of the men would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I've entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests said amongst themselves, who is this uh, who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, so often in these lessons and and the the narratives, the stories that we read of Jesus, we learn something of of spiritual depth depth and significance. So in this case, Jesus is speaking of of those that have been forgiven of much and the deep love and passion that they have for Jesus because of their great debt that has been lifted from them. But ultimately, every text that we read, every story that we read in Scripture is deeply rooted in a, a time and a place. It's an experience of people. And so often in our faith communities, we talk about these spiritual concepts and ethereal things, and so often find our faith and, and belief and Christianity far removed from the practical, uh, the real, the social aspects play. And so while there's a beautiful message here about the love that we have when we realize the debt that has been forgiven in our lives, there's also a very practical, social, and important reality. You see, Jesus, having been shamed in this place, he makes space at the table for the least likely of invitees on this day. Right, The gal who wasn't invited, who wasn't welcomed in this place, uh, the one who was farthest from the inner circle in this Pharisee's home, the one who comes shamed, embarrassed, uh, uh, you know, in, in tears, this is the person that Jesus creates space at the table for. And here's what I want to pull out of this. We are a people, should we be followers of Jesus, should we choose to, to try to live like Jesus, who uh, create spaces of radical inclusion? I mean, when we come across people that are much different than ourselves, when we come across circumstances that are uncomfortable, Jesus demonstrates for us in Matthew chapter 7, radical inclusion. These are the people that we invite to the table. These are the people we move towards. It's powerful to me to think about where our value comes from, and it's not like Micah said, in your place in society or what you've accomplished or what you look like. But our value comes from God. And so the least likely person by human standards is still incredibly valuable to God. And that, to me, is just a weight off of my shoulders because we don't have to prove our value. We don't have to um, convince people of that. That is given to us by, by be just being created in the image of God. And that is a beautiful thing played out in this story. As we begin thinking about this idea of radical inclusion, 
Um, I got to thinking of, of a friend, Scott Michael. And Scott, if you'll come up here with us. Um, Scott Michael is a dir- director of World Relief, a uh, local agency. He'll tell you more about what World Relief does. Um, but when I think of radical inclusion, I think of these sorts of things, the things that are happening here in our community. And so I invited Scott to talk with us a little bit, just so you know, um, as a member of the church, you have been supporting World Relief. Uh, we, we tithe of the money that we receive as a church. And one of the organizations that we partner with is World Relief because we believe they're doing some beautiful things. Scott, will you tell us a little bit more about it and inclusion and how that plays out in your context? Thanks, Pastor Mike. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, it's just been a blessing to me to to um, get to know Pastor Micah a little bit over the last year or so. And um, if you don't hear anything from me today, um, do hear this. Thank you. Thank you for caring about refugees, for caring about world relief, and for touching our hearts. And um, you guys don't just send a check. You have people here in the church that serve refugees, that have served Burmese refugees with us. And I thank you to Chris and Jacob and their families for doing that. And thank you for the nice notes you send to our office that we pass around for people to look at. Um, and, and not just sending a check, but checks are great too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but for, you know, caring about us. And, um, so let me just in just like two minutes tell you about what we do for refugees, um, and, and what you do for refugees with us. We, help refugees who are people who are fleeing their homes because of persecution. That's the key word to understand a refugee situation. It's persecution. And so they've usually fled to another country and are um, unable to stay there. The, um, The governments of those countries usually don't want them to start a new life there. So they're looking for a third country, a place to go. And the U.S. government gives them permission to come into the United States and start a new life. And that's where we get involved, trying to get an apartment and furniture and uh, food for them, and then helping them when they first get here to learn the bus and get their kids enrolled in school and get a job and be able to pay their rent as quickly as possible. Those, those and many, many other things are things we do to help the refugees. And um, I have a, I brought a couple of pieces of refugee art back there because uh, I thought you th- would think that that's cool to see some of the work that some of the refugees that we've resettled here in the Tri-Cities have done. And then more information about us. It's, it's hard to explain it all in a couple of minutes, but I'll be around afterwards. Um, you know, these refugees come from very many difficult situations. They come from refugee camps. Where one guy explained in the camp, he said, if you don't have like another type of job or a garden or something, he said the food rations that they give out, you get them every 15 days. And he said, the first five days, they're days of plenty. Um, you, you have enough to eat. He said, the next five days, they're days of story. Uh, you try to tell your kids stories to get their minds off the food. And then he said, the last five days, they're days of quiet. You're too weak to talk. And he said it just goes over and over again, over and over again. And many of our refugees have lived like this for many years. Then others of them, there are many of them like Syrians or Iraqis that have um, been living lives that we would consider middle class. And then um, they have fled just for their lives because of torture and beatings and, and the civil war. And they come here and they start over, some of them as doctors washing dishes and, and giving up all that they had and just carrying like two suitcases. And if I'm talking to kids, I usually bring a, a little bag with me and I say, you know, if you had to put everything that you could take with you in this bag, what, what would you put in there just to give us the sense of refugees and what they go through to come here? 
So refugees run the gamut. Some, some doctors, doctors from Iraq coming here and starting over. Um, and an, another doctor doing construction. And then others who, who've been stuck in camps for years and haven't yet learned to write in their own language, their first language. So you've served them with us and we're really grateful. One of the ladies who came, uh, her name was Rukia from Somalia. And she, uh, we don't usually ask people their stories, um, and not every story is, is this difficult, but she wanted to tell her story. And she said, what happened to our family? Now, this is going back now more than 20 years. We fled Somalia because of the Civil War fighting. It wasn't safe, and we were trying to leave. And she said we were, our, our group was hit by a mortar round. And as that mortar round hit, it, I, I lost my husband and the two boys that were with him. She had another young, young child on her back, and unfortunately she didn't know that that child had also been hit, and someone had to tell her that that child had died. She had one little boy that was traveling with other relatives. He he survived the mortar attack, and he was bitten by a snake, and she lost him as well. Here she was with these other people, lost all of her family. She was eight months pregnant at the time. She gave birth to her child on the road, on the way to a refugee camp in Ethiopia. They lived in that refugee camp for 19 years with no place to go, no place to belong. And then they got the opportunity to come to the United States as refugees. And they came to the Tri-Cities. And this is the place that took them and welcomed them. And people like you helped them to start a new life here. And we asked her, why, why did you want to tell us the story and that happened to you? And she said, to seek justice, because what, what was wrong needs to be made right. And that was her way to tell that story. So she came here, she and her daughter, and started a new life here. And they're just here now, doing the best they can to overcome all these things that they've been through. And the amazing thing is, people like you have helped her, and you've probably walked by her at Winco or seen her at a bus stop, never knowing, never knowing how much she suffered, but also never knowing that you gave her a new place to belong. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott, for sharing that. World Relief is really an amazing organization in, in radical inclusion, um, people that are different than us to draw them in and, and include them. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to take the conversation um, a step further. So we've talked about radical inclusion. I want to talk, go be, beyond the radical inclusion and now talk about um, so radical love and compassion. Because it's not enough just to include someone, but it's the manner in which we include and how we interact with them that greatly matters. So I want to read a really short story. It's in Mark 1, just two verses, and it's a story of Jesus healing a leper. It goes like this. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. We have to understand a little bit about leprosy in biblical times. To have leprosy meant that you did not belong. It meant that you were not included. 
Leprosy was this horrible, horrible disease. There's different kinds of leprosy, and I'll spare you the details. But physically, um, your flesh just rots away, and you become terribly disfigured. And so it was, it was obvious as soon as you looked at a person in biblical times that they had leprosy. And it was also highly contagious. So socially, it excluded people. Socially, they were required to live outside of town in an isolated location away from their family. In fact, um, there were laws that as they walked a public road, if they were walking and someone came too close to them and didn't notice that they were lepers, they were supposed to shout out in a loud voice, don't come close to me. I'm unclean. I I have leprosy. And you had to, you had to shout that and, and keep people away from you. It's hard to imagine today's equivalent. Oh, you know, what would that, what would that look like today to really understand the exclusion that causes in someone? Um, but it would, it would be kind of like being diagnosed with a rare cancer. And the day you go to the doctor, they tell you, okay, pack your bag. You're leaving your family. You're leaving your town, and you're going to have to live in some quarantined, isolated area for the rest of your life. And it's just, it was just this traumatic, traumatic um, exclusion, the opposite of inclusion. And so the story says a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. So the, the mere fact that he came to Jesus, he was already breaking all the rules. He was coming close to Jesus, because he had heard of him, and he had heard of the miracles, the the healings that he had performed, and he was on his knees, his deepest longing so obvious. He wanted to be included. He wanted to belong again. He wanted to be healed. And, And he approaches Jesus, and he says, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And this man had been rejected over and over and over again. He did not belong. People were not willing to be near him because he had such a highly contagious disease. And so he approaches Jesus wondering, am I going to be treated in the same way? Is he going to be willing to interact with me? Is he going to be willing to be close to me? Is he going to be willing to meet me where I'm at? And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And clean, if you haven't heard it used in this way, clean is actually a religious term in this context. And it's referring to, it means to be acceptable to God, to be holy, to be worthy, to be, to be clean. So leprosy, having leprosy meant you were unclean. So you were no longer acceptable. You could no longer be a part of the community or, <clears throat> or be a part of the religious the religious activity there. And so he says, if you are willing, you can make me acceptable again. You can make me holy. You can make me belong again. And it goes on, and this is kind of an interesting phrase. It seems odd at first. It says, Jesus was indignant. And some translations, in some Bibles, it'll, it'll say Jesus was filled with compassion. And that's because that Greek word is really complex. There's different, there's different layers of meaning in that. And it's kind of hard to translate. So both, both are, are accurate. It says in, in, to be indignant means to be angry or frustrated at some injustice, at something unfair. And when Jesus looked at the man, 
He was indignant. It's like that shouldn't, shouldn't be like that for this man to be treated like an outcast, to be forced to live out uh, outside of town, to be rejected. And this hurt the heart of God. And Jesus was filled with compassion for this man. And then my favorite part of the story says he reached out his hand and he touched the man. Remember, this is a leper. You're not supposed to come close to them, let alone touch them. And it's, I mean, it doesn't tell us exactly how the story unfolded, but in my mind, when I think of it, I, I picture the man um, in front of Jesus begging on his knees and Jesus first touching his shoulder. And then I picture Jesus kneeling down and grabbing his hand with his other hand and just waiting there in silence, touching the man who hadn't probably been touched for years. Who knows how long? And I picture him waiting until the man looked up. And then Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. What an amazing story. Because Jesus could have healed the man from a distance, and it would have still been this incredible miracle and this incredible act of love and compassion. But Jesus chose to be near him and to touch him. The manner in which Jesus chose to heal shows how much he loved this man. And he met him where he was at, and he treated him in such a way such a way that he felt valued and he felt appreciated and he included him and provided for him a place to belong. And this is what Jesus is all about, where radical inclusion brings about radical love and creates a place of belonging. You know, so often we have these uh, barriers in life, uh, these comfort zones that we're unwilling to get outside of. And there's this time Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the wise guys around him trying to trick him or stump him in his word says, yeah, but who is your neighbor? And Jesus chooses a story about a Samaritan, um, uh, like the bane of Israel's existence, the most marginalized and outcast people. And, and he forces by, through the story, he asks, so who was the neighbor in the story? And, and, and the guy's forced to answer, well, the, I guess the Samaritan. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Um, and I think about this idea of radical inclusion, um, and, and not just inclusion like, I guess, you can hang out around us, but the kind of inclusion uh, that's born of love, a deep love for all humanity. And Jesus is saying, but not just the people that are lovable, not just the people that are lovely. Uh, Jesus says, everybody, the people furthest from you. And that's the kind of call uh, that, that I believe the gospel places on our lives. That as we leave this place, it's easy in here, right? It, it's easy to include and love the people like ourselves. But when we walk out these doors and encounter people that are much less lovely and much less lovable, the gospel invites us to radical inclusion, born of love. Two things really stand out to me. And since it's our two-year anniversary, and we're all about twos, we're going to... Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks. I'm, I'm pretty clever like that. Um, I'm going to give, give us two things to really think about as, as we close out. Um, the first is that we can be included. 
we can be included. Like the leper, Jesus invites us to come as we are with all the beautiful parts of our lives and all the really messy parts of our lives. Jesus invites us to come to know him, to receive healing where we need healing, and to experience a radical inclusion and love and to find, ultimately, a place to belong, both both here and in the future, a place to belong. And then the second thing, so first, that we are included. And the second thing that really stands out to me is that we are called to love people the way Jesus loves people. We are called to interact with people the way Jesus interacted with this leopard to show radical inclusion and to show radical love, to interact with people in such a way where they feel appreciated and they feel valued and they feel loved. That is our, that is our calling. So what does that look like in our lives? What does that look like in our church? What does that look like in our homes? What does that look like at work, in our community? And, and for our different settings, it might look a little different. In, in my life, when I think of home, I think of including my family and accepting them with all their craziness and, and all their quirks. She's not talking about me. <laughs> you know, this idea of, of we include um, and, we, and we love and, and we speak and act in such a way they feel valued, they feel loved, and they feel appreciated. At work, I think of, of being quick to smile and being quick to extend grace um, when, when people are not having a great day. That, what does it look like at work? And in our community, both in our networks of friends and then in our community at large, to really know our community. So to know where are the pockets of people who who desperately need to be included because they're being excluded or or where where where's a opportunity for us in our in our networks of people that we know and in our community at large to show a radical love that's unusual for um, our culture today. Friends, we are those people that have been included, right, by God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are those people that have been on the outside but invited in. We have been included, and it is our opportunity to live radically inclusive lives, born of love for all people. Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time and an opportunity to explore what it is to belong. Father, we thank you that you have called us your own, that you have invited us to a place of belonging, inclusion, and love. Father, help us to demonstrate that in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.